Welcome, everybody, to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus-year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I teach here and am president, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Tommy Keene of our New Testament department and Peter Lee of our Old Testament department, um, sprawling departments both. Well, I, I'm just... I'm just excited we actually have a New Testament department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. We have a whole department now. That's right. With, with Paul coming on. So uh-huh. it's great. There's chatter in the halls between the department members. Yeah. We need we need separate <laughs> department text threads. That's right. That's right. We should break it up. And just Peter and I will talk back and forth about does that creation make, uh, stories or something. As our president, you are my boss. But as a department head, does that make me your boss? I think that's probably true. Do we have department heads? They're, they're, they're you are assuming that, that you're department head in this. I said, I said of the of, department. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just yeah. presumed department head. You just, yeah. You're just promoting yourself. Well, it's good to be with you all here. Yes. We're, we're a little bit, we're a couple of men down, as it were. Yep. Our ST department wasn't able to make it. <laughs> yeah. The whole department. That's right. And Paul Jean uh, also was not able to make it as well. Um, and, you know, we're actually okay with, with, with going, you know, scaling down a couple of times, you know, sometimes people are out of town. Mm-hmm. It actually makes for a little bit of a different dynamic. You know, a group can have a personality. And so it's, it's kind of nice to sometimes, uh, you know, have a different, a different vibe. group dynamic, different yep. vibe going on in the studio. So great to be with you all as we launch our new series. It's a big deal launching this new series. This will be the first that some of our listeners have heard about this new series. So we're mm-hmm. un- this is the unveiling, as it were. Tommy's got a kind of a big curtain up against the wall. <laughs> yeah. And should, should I do a countdown? <laughs> I don't know how to do a drum roll. I, I always okay. try to do a drum roll, and it sounds really pathetic. Okay. All right. So you're going to stand there. You're going to hold the curtain. Okay. <laughs> You got it. Hold I, the got it my, I got it in my hand. This, is, this, this whole bit is entirely. I can, I can Tommy is responding this. this in real time because he he's not aware. Ready? of this. No, I can vouch that. He's <laughs> <taking> the... <laughs> the Lord's Prayer. There we go. Okay, we are for the next few months. We're going to be working through the the text, the nature, the themes, the petitions, the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. So um, we've been looking forward to this. The, the Tough Text uh, series that we've been doing has been great. It's been mm-hmm. really, I think, wetting our apologetics whistles, uh, collective whistle. And we are now going to move on to talk about something a little bit more devotional, which is working through the Lord's Prayer. So De- thrilled to do this. Devotional, but it's also exegetical. Yeah, we've got right. some really fascinating, actually, just even technical Greek questions in some spots that uh, that sometimes even make the news. Mm. I remember a couple mm. years ago, the Pope uh, made a declaration of how a particular petition was to be translated, and it was uh, debated and things like that. And it's also this exegetical, redemptive historical. It's it's Jesus's prayer. Yeah, it's catechetical, and then catechetical. So we get our our systematics in there too. Yeah, so it's all right. Things. Shows up. At, yeah. Exactly. So there's a lot to say about it. Let's start off with uh, sort of a general intro to the Lord's Prayer. This is, Tommy, as you mentioned, this is one of those passages in Scripture that still makes it into pop culture from time to time. I think of it kind of like Psalm 23 in terms of well-known texts 
Um, you know, it'll show up in movies. It'll show up, you know, it, it, it will, um, it, it's something that the, that someone who doesn't even know scripture and has relatively little engagement with scripture is still probably going to know a little bit about the Lord's prayer. So this is not, not merely theological. This has a cultural cachet, uh, with it as well. So, um, there's a real relevance as to what it is and what it means. Okay, so let's let's start off with that. The, the, we have this thing we call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, my my daughter, who uh, was talking to some of her Catholic friends, came up the other day. This literally happened this last week, and asked me, "Why do we call it the Lord's Prayer and not uh, Our Father? Why don't we call it the Our Father?" And uh, it made me think of having to memorize the Lord's Prayer in Syriac back in our PhD days. You remember that, Doctor Lee, and, uh, and and knowing that it's called the Avon. Uh, you know, in, in the Syriac tradition, um, what's going on with that? What's going on with the titling of these things? Is there a theological significance there or, or why do we have these different titles? I don't think so. I mean, the, uh, I guess in theory, there's nothing wrong with calling the Lord's prayer, the, our father, it's the, uh, tradition of the Roman Catholic church to do that. Uh, but they are actually just following an ancient practice. The um, you know titles of uh, literary works or sections uh, in the ancient world was not really given titles, but when they did, the title just came from the very first line of the work. So, right. the uh, like for example, the uh, the Book of Genesis in 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 Jewish tradition is just called Bereshit, mm-hmm. which is in Hebrew in the beginning. Um, the funniest is um, even like um, uh, I think Exodus is just uh, uh, like these or something like that. They yeah. go for these. So the, the, though in Deuteronomy they do go for the better word. So it's Hadivarim yeah. instead of Ele. These are the words of Moses. They they go with the second word. It happens sometimes, yeah. but you know the Babylonian Babylonian creation myth is mm. called the Enuma Elish because that's the first line yeah. Babylonian words in the text. And so. we still see this in a lot of Protestant traditions too. You know, Mighty Fortresses, Our God is right. a hymn by Luther that's named that because that's the first line of the hymn. I and that's the, most of our hymns are named by the first line. Right. So, you know, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church didn't um, invent this mm-hmm. practice. They are just borrowing on an ancient tradition uh, by just using the first line, um, in this case, the first line of the prayer as the title of the of the prayer, but uh, so in theory, there's nothing wrong with it. It, uh, it. You know, it has now so much of a Roman Catholic um, understanding or application to yeah. it uh, that we may <coughs> avoid it just for that reason alone. But but um, it, I don't see any problem with it really. Yeah, I think sometimes it carries with it the idea that it needs to be said in every worship service, which many Protestant traditions still do. Definitely right. happens in Roman Catholic liturgy. But the idea that this has to be recited in every worship service. Now, in a lot of Protestant and Presbyterian circles, you'll say it, you may say it in regular liturgy, mm-hmm. um, or oftentimes you'll also see it in the Lord's Supper liturgy as a part of the public prayer of the people that they'll do the Lord's Supper. With or the, you know the, the 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 liturgy that includes the words of institutions, prayer of thanksgiving, uh, the fencing of the table, and everything will include a, a recitation of the Lord's prayer. So the so it seems like the Roman Catholic tradition of of referring to it as the Our Father is is the kind of norm, 
when did we start referring to it as the Lord's Prayer? Did your daughter's research turn up any evidence That's in that regard? That's a good question. I haven't read, I haven't edited the full paper yet, okay. so maybe it did. <laughs> but I, right, no, I'm, and, and as n- not a, uh, not a historical liturgy scholar yeah. we need Hughes old here to help us mm-hmm. work through or when some of those are our Rufus own Burton, Burton. that'd be right uh, teaching reformation liturgy maybe we need winter. to get, we need to get him in here at some point to yeah. talk about mm-hmm. a history of of lord's prayer usage i'm going to write it down right now okay um but no it is it's something that you see semi-regularly and it's it's kind of you know different traditions different cultures different denominations come up with different ways to say things you know the other question that always comes up is communion versus eucharist versus lord's supper and again getting at the reform the typical reform tradition to use a descriptive you know a, a descriptive english title target language title for the thing that's being done but yeah it's a good question well as a second question oh. which lord's prayer that's that sounds that's like a question, question for the New Testament department. It does. <laughs> I don't know if people are even aware the whole that department's there are not two. here. Yeah, there's two. <laughs> right. And actually, if we if we call it the Our Father, we've actually made that decision because Matthew's Matthew version White. begins with Our Father who art in heaven. And where's the other one found again? The other. Thank you for asking, Peter. The other one is here in Luke 11, mm. sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, he said to them, "When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come." Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. The end. You know, mm-hmm. there's actually no the end there. I mean, Mic that's, drop. it just ends. So it's even brief. Luke's version is even more brief than Matthew's version, and Matthew's version is oddly brief. You know, it's it's it's. Well, let's disentangle because we just, I mean, I know we just got done with tough texts. Right. And we're not doing harmonization of the Gospels. No. But let's tackle the first question, which is, well, you know, we don't really know what the Lord's Prayer is. There's multiple Lord's Prayers in the Bible. What what do we make, what do you make of these? This this gets at the Sermon of the Plain versus Sermon on the Mount. Right. This gets at, but but more specifically in terms of Lord's Prayer, what, what sense do we make of that? I mean, it's it's been a perennial question in in the scholarly community. This is one of the reasons why most scholars even now don't think Luke knew Matthew, mm-hmm. is because if Luke knew Matthew, certainly he would have taken this more beautiful version of the prayer yeah. and just used that rather than this very choppy brief version mm-hmm. that we have here. So Luke can't have known Matthew because he, who would ever split up and break up to pieces that beautiful Sermon on the Mount that Matthew yeah. has? And, and yeah. that's what Luke does is it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, this is also sometimes called alternating primitivity, which is just fancy word for saying looks like Luke's version is older because it's not as ornamented. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not as developed. Um, in fact, uh, in Matthew's version, Matthew's version also ends kind of without an ending. You know, it's just lead us not into, you know, deliver us from evil um, is the end. And then for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It looks like somebody later on added that mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, from bits of Leviticus and other parts of Scripture to kind of make it sound better, to be mm. to, to give it an ending because right. it ends pretty abruptly. So that seems to indicate that that the tradition 
develops a little bit, and so maybe Luke is the older version. So there's all these kinds of theories out there. My own... And we'll talk about those as we get down. I mean, the, yeah, the, the endings get, and that kind yeah, of thing can, as we get to them. We can address those as we get, yeah, as we as we make it through. Um, but, you know, as far as Luke's version is concerned, there's a couple of answers that would be perfectly compatible with a robust doctrine of inerrancy. One mm-hmm. is that maybe there are multiple versions of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. That Jesus, you know, doesn't preach the sermon and then never, ever in the course of three years, repeat himself, um, even as right. he's a traveling preacher, uh, that's actually would be not very ordinary. Yeah. Um, it would be more likely for him to iterate on material that he has you know, already preached and preach it in a new town. Um, I need to go to these other towns also because they need to hear mm-hmm. the message that mm-hmm. I preach. So maybe there are multiple preached versions of something like this sermon and something like this prayer. Um, the other the other possibility is that Matthew, as Matthew often does, is bringing out some of the theological implications of each line, each petition, right. in a way that's not embedded and not clarified in Luke, which, again, our author is, is free to do as long as it's consistent with the original intent. Mm-hmm. And those aren't even mutually exclusive, too. They can, right. Those can right. both be the case. I like that, too. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that Jesus, you know, you actually even think just ministerially, um, you know, we don't have podcast recordings in the ancient world. People can't go online and be like, well, let's go back and see what Jesus says about prayer mm-hmm. and listen to that episode or something, right? Yeah. So the he's going to need to repeat this. Right. He's going to need to repeat these around the countryside because people in Capernaum, People in Bethsaida, people elsewhere may may or may not know these teachings, and these are questions that commonly come up. How should we pray? So, I would expect that actually he had some stump speeches, that he had some some spiel's that he was right. giving, and that makes sense to me of the difference between the you know, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. Not only that, you see that corroborated in the in the Old Testament prophets too. Yeah. You see the prophets talk regularly. Jeremiah, of course famously is is the most reflective on his method and he's going around preaching and and there's Baruch following him along and the 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 picture that's painted is that Jeremiah would preach Baruch would write stuff down they didn't go home that night and they'd go through and edit it and they'd compile things later and sometimes they added stuff to it afterwards you know so there's this kind of organic process that we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus did the same thing too Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be a problem for us yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're going to teach on prayer, here is a model prayer, and for Jesus to kind of go around mm-hmm. and reiterate this, um, I mean, it, it it makes a lot of sense to me. It, it fits the context. Even Matthew, how he even talks about it is like, you know, you're going to pray, you're going to pray like this, as if it's like a model, like a normative yeah. of how, how it's to be done, and then him just sort of rattling this off wherever he goes. And, of course— um, we use in the tradition, in church tradition, we use the longer Matthew. Yeah. It feels more appropriate for the yeah. liturgical service, right? And it is it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful account um, and way to pray, um, especially if you do it as the Christians do and say trespasses instead of deaths. <laughs> is that what they do in the EPC? That's That's what the Christians do, yeah. Oh, the Christians, the Christians do that, do. not uh, the EPC, I don't know Tommy. about your 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 traditions. 
we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get we, to it. We, we were recently at a, a Catholic wedding, uh-huh. and um, th- and half the audience is Protestant, half the audience is Roman Catholic, and we're praying through and everybody. And not only you know the yeah. um, the trespasses debts, but also the Protestants keep going right uh-huh. with the ending with. Yeah. Did the Roman Catholics stopped? Yeah. And so, like half the room is yeah, half it, the part, of, half the room is crossing themselves, and the other half is still talking. And I had to sadly tell all my my <laughs> Protestant family that okay, actually the Roman Catholics might have it right on this one, <laughs> this particular area. Right. It's uh, and I'm I'm joking, of course, about trespass. I was raised in a trespasses family, and okay. our church, by God's grace, still does that, even though we're Presbyterian. But I do realize that's. More of an Anglican Catholic. Uh, there are too many syllables. I, I feel the opposite. I think debt is like no, no. That's the the rhythm's off. Yeah, it debt, makes it too debtors. small. Yeah, I mean, you're praying for the forgiveness syllables. of sins, and it just yeah. feels too that, inadequate. Yeah, there's something you know, too many syllables just doesn't fit with my Hebrew poetic sensibilities. It has to be short, terse, brief. Well, so you love the Lord's prayer. I do love the Lord's prayer. I I say it every night in our family worship. Uh, I do it every weekend as part of our uh, uh, worship. I like to, um, and then you know, highlight certain portions of it. Uh, from week to week, so it's not too repetitive, uh, you know. So maybe emphasize just briefly, not a whole sermon, but just mention, hey, don't forget, we can pray to God as our Father, not mm-hmm. just as you know, just as our God, but as our Heavenly Father. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, uh, you know, we pray for the kingdom and uh, don't There's forget so to forgive sins. And, it's so wonderful. There's so many wonderful observations. Such a good theology, which yeah. I hope comes out during this series. There's such a good theology that you can squeeze out of this really wonderful liturgy that our Lord gives us, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's the one that strikes me. We'll talk about that more in our first episode, but the fact that the prayer is our father, mm-hmm. it's our father, it's ours. It's not dear father of Jesus, my father, you know, dear father, my, my personal father or something. <laughs> it's our father. Right. And it's, it's really, really a wonderful, there's so much packed into that. And it is a great way to form and guide your prayers. All right, before we get, before we dive in more into, I mean, we don't want to get into the text yet because we're going to start that next time. Um, let's talk a little bit about how should we use it then. So we, we you recite in family worship, and that's great. Our family does too. Um, we get it pretty regularly in Lord's uh, Lord's Supper liturgy. Mm-hmm. How how should we use it? Is this is this the only way to pray? Is this a guide for how to pray? Is this kind of an outline that we should use to inform our inform our thoughts? What's what's the point of this? What's the point of Jesus giving us this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer? Well, in in the context of Matthew, uh, you know, this is used by Jesus to teach his disciples on how to pray, mm-hmm. and you know, for uh, and that always sounded a little odd to me. You know, you have to teach people how to pray, really? I mean, isn't it something kind of intuitive? Well, uh, you know, when you work with young children or even new believers who are really uncertain of what that means to pray and and what do you say, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, um, it does help to uh, use it um, as a a pedagogically, Mm -hmm. uh, especially uh, with... um, uh, those who are just growing uh, in understanding what it means to be a believer and to walk faithfully with Christ. 
uh, so um, that's the way that I've used it. I've used it uh, with my children, um, and so that when they do pray publicly or in their own private lives, and you encourage them to pray mm-hmm. uh, and to do so, um, you know, first thing you get up in the morning, you ought to pray. Mm-hmm. So what? how do you pray? Well, just kind of follow the Lord's Prayer. I mean, not maybe... Um, you can do it by memory, but maybe just use that as a launching pad to kind of elaborate a little bit more on each element as you go through that. Uh, as you get more comfortable with prayer and get more familiar with um, uh, with uh, your faith, and there has to be some discipleship that accompanies prayer. You're growing in your understanding of Scripture, uh, right. your understanding of theology, uh, of your doctrine of God, of your own faith, of, of church. And as you're growing more and maturing more and understanding what it is that you believe, it enriches your prayer. So now you're not so committed, uh, you know, rotely, line no. by line, but it's informing what it is that you believe and saying, oh, yeah, now I realized how great it is that I can call God Father. Mm-hmm. Or what I now know what I mean when I say I pray for the kingdom to come. Uh, or, you know, whatever that might be. So, uh, you know, at a, at a basic level, when we talk about people who are not accustomed to praying regularly, who are just now getting started for whatever reason, uh, it's a good place to go to encourage them to know how to do that. Because prayer is, you know, important. <laughs> right. You know, you grow in uh, by praying. You you mature in your faith by praying. Right. And one and if it's done well in a in a not ignorant way, but in an informed way. Uh, then it just enriches your life all the more, and then you realize just how profound it is. It's beautifully said. And on that note, I mean, my first gut response to your question, Scott, was, well, it teaches us to pray and to pray more. And one of the ways it does that is by being so simple, so yeah. so short. Um, the shortness of the prayer isn't an accident. It seems that Jesus is, you know, in, in especially in Matthew's account, it's contrasted with not praying these elaborate prayers, you know, these elaborate public productions that seem to be occurring uh, in Jesus's own day. The Gentiles have their way of doing that too, mm-hmm. the, you know, these elaborate sort of hand movements and all these kinds of things to manipulate mm-hmm. the spirits. And so in contrast to that, the simplicity of this prayer is a child talking to a father and just asking for things mm-hmm. um, is you know, is very surprising. I mean, it would feel, I think, almost inappropriate. Uh, I, I remember being at a uh, a meeting and somebody was asked to pray to thank God for the food, this big public gathering, and he came up and he said, dear God, thank you for this food. And that was deemed <laughs> inadequately short of a prayer. Um, and mm-hmm. so, th- so somebody else had to get up and repray the Repray oh, really? the prayer, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was okay. It was, it was awkward. That is. Yeah, it's awkward. Uh, yeah. But th- it's this feels almost inappropriately short. But I think that's actually part of the point. How easy it is to approach our Father in prayer, and if you have these words, it encourages you to pray more often, to pray more quickly, to build prayer into the regular rhythm of your day. Um, I will often go to the Lord's prayer when I'm just stuck. You know, I'm just, Mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned being stuck because you're at the beginning of your faith. I mean, I sometimes get stuck. uh, And this is just a helpful kind of like, I can, I can pray this prayer. And the fact that it's written out for me isn't a detriment. 
to to that. You know, the, mm-hmm. you you think that you have to have. We joke on about the no notes notes thing in the mm-hmm. the sermon prep. Yeah, and here's Jesus um, telling you to use notes. He's telling you to use notes in prayer, in prayer. Amen. Um, and that doesn't make it an inauthentic prayer. Right. It's it right. can still be a prayer from the heart, and yet come out of this rote, memorized form. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? it, it there's two things that as you all are talking that I'm thinking about. One of them is. Yeah, we can't say that this is the only way you're supposed to pray. And so, and so I can hear someone saying, Don't, look, why won't you listen to Jesus? He says right here, this is how you should pray. Regular principle. Right. And, of course, you don't have to think about that too long to realize, but Jesus does pray a lot in the Gospels, and he doesn't always pray like this. And Paul pre- prays. And then, of course, we have the whole of the Psalter. Right. And yet, what do we see him doing here? We see him saying, there's a simple, humble, quiet, God-honoring way to pray and yes we have in the psalter we have in the high priestly prayer we have in all of paul's openings where he says i give thanks for you daily and every you know and he he gives prayer thanks right there in the letter um and yet what we're reminded is is that our lord knows what we need we don't need to go and manipulate him with many words or with hand signals or or with performance the lord knows what we need and we can go to him with simplicity Mm -hmm. and humility you know um standing under his provision, not standing over him, you know. And uh, it's a wonderful model as a result. It's a wonderful model for prayer. And yet we see ourselves that Jesus doesn't only pray this way, that he also prays mm-hmm. in other ways as well. So um, the other thing it makes me think of is that for those who don't think that prayers uh, can be written down, right, or those who those who think only spontaneous prayer is appropriate, Here's a perfect, perfect example where Jesus does. He, he gives us a form prayer, and there's nothing wrong with that. It gives us good language. Actually, oftentimes when I'm doing, when I'm going through form prayers like this one, or um, my church does a collective confession of sin in it that we all read together, right. and I just, you know, often tear that little part out of the bulletin or just take the bulletin home, and we use that later in the week as a family, you know, praying together. And there's something about using someone else's words to give voice mm-hmm. to the thing that's in your heart. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it took me a while as a, an American evangelical to get out of the idea that prayers have to, are, are only you know, true prayers are spontaneous prayers and mm-hmm. actually recognize that there are form prayers that bring out another side of worship, you know, that I miss if it's just me producing the, the term, the language all the time. Yeah. And there's something thoughtful about it. It yeah. shows that, it was prepared, that um, it was thoughtful, mm-hmm. um, uh, both the, the Lord's Prayer and even a, a corporate confession of sin that you have a community reciting together uh, that can be a bit more um, uh, thorough and complete. Right. If, if you do it um, uh, extemporaneously, if you're just doing it um, without any prep, it, there's something very genuine and real about it, which is true, and that's and that's fantastic. Um, but there are times when perhaps you miss something, a petition or a confession or uh, something like that, that is important just because you're not thinking about it ahead of time. It's not prepared. Mm-hmm. So to have something prepared um, is great. And I've actually, actually, I've encouraged people to do exactly that, Scott, uh, for churches that do have corporate confession, mm-hmm. to take that confession that was presented uh, that week and reuse it again, that yeah. following 
uh, week days subsequently for your own private devotion, your own uh, couple's Bible uh, time or, or a family devotion, and use it because there is a lot of profundity Amen. and a lot of help and a lot of benefit, spiritual power in some of these things that are prepared and written by those who have been uh, very thoughtful about it. Yeah, I think I've, I was. we all have this general um, instinct that, well, things— it's, it's, it's newness that creates sort of emotional, worshipful response, right? And you know, the idea that novelty breeds ecstasy. You know, there is a sense, though, in which you know, familiarity can also breed ecstasy in this way. You know, and I'm not just talking about getting an emotional response. But there's something about the use of good liturgy— in prayer, mm-hmm. we're not. This isn't a discussion of liturgy, but this isn't. In, in a way, it's a discussion yeah. of liturgy. Um, it frees you up to now actually really focus on the prayer. That's right. Yeah, and not on what am I going to say next? How, yeah. how do I yeah. say it next? What am I? What are these? Does this make sense? Can people? You know, do people understand what I'm saying? And now you can focus on the stance of your heart in prayer because the words are taken care of. You know. There's a, there's a, it's an interesting experience that if you've been in liturgical context, you've probably had that experience. But if you haven't, if you're only in the kind of heavily rationalistic, you know, American Western church, this may seem kind of counterintuitive to right. you. And yet it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, in, in private worship, in private devotion, the prayer can be the word, just those words. But this can also then form a template for yeah. a broader prayer. A, a, you develop a, the ideas. Yeah, yeah. A, an object of meditation. And, mm-hmm. you know, where should I see God's name hallowed? What are my, what are the particular sins that I'm asking forgiveness for? Yeah, I mean, a month does not go by where I don't pray, you know, Lord, provide my daily bread. <laughs> right. You know, just because sometimes yeah. you're not sure, uh, uh, you know, what is um, going to be provided for you from... Uh, just don't know but you you remember that in the prayer mm-hmm. yeah. and you remember that you prayed about this and you remember now that the lord will and has in the past and will provide again for you in terms of where you are right now so mm-hmm. and that's not just material needs i mean that's you know my kids are struggling or my church is struggling or you know or i'm kind of going through this low moment so lord please provide for me now you know daily bread in terms of material need but just a need in general yeah and the and the prayer reminds us that God has done that in the yeah. past and will do that again. Yeah, and as long as we're on overview of this particular form of prayer, it's interesting that it does follow a two two part format. So it is first Godward mm-hmm. that you know our first object in prayer is to pray for God. Um, in, in that respect, for his glory, for his kingdom, for his honor. And then from that standpoint, to pray for ourselves uh, and, and our brethren, right? Um, for daily bread, for forgiveness, protection from the evil one. But you do get that vertical and horizontal mm-hmm. together in one prayer, and yet the primacy on the God word, on, mm. centered on who God is oh. as Father and what He does for His children, like the Ten Commandments in a way, yeah, so similar, yeah, yeah. similar, yeah. similar pattern, with this heavy focus on kingdom, right? right? And that's the thing, I think. If we read this in light of the Old Testament, that's the fascinating thing to me too. Is now the articulation of God as 
as father in the kingdom, right? And you get that kingdom theology that's so present in the gospels and in Jesus' teaching of mm. um, uh, of, of of God's household, of God's redemptive purposes being a kingdom that we are members of. It's another really interesting feature of the prayer that I think is underappreciated. That mm-hmm. you know, this is a model prayer. Yeah. It, it, it's it's something to be patterned in our own lives. He's teaching us how to pray, but this is also the prayer of the King. This is yeah. this is a prayer that Jesus prayed, and we actually see him praying it from time yeah. to time, or bits and pieces of it. So, most climactically, not far from uh, Luke chapter eleven, he is going to be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done, right? right. So he mm-hmm. prays, That's good. thy will be done. So this, this is a prayer that Jesus himself uh, uses in the course of his own mission, his own call as the king, and then passes along to the subjects. Yeah, there's so much, and we'll, we'll, I don't want to talk about it all now, but there's so much going on there covenantally. There's mm-hmm. this, the, what is the kingdom? How is God our Father? How is it important that he's our father, you know, and not just Jesus's father? Because there's so much going on there that ties this in with language that we see in the Old Testament. And it raises the question, what are fathers and sons throughout Scripture? What, what does that mean, the father and the child? Because that shows Amen. up a good bit. Amen. Yeah. I do have a uh, question, and it's a question of language. Um, real quickly, um, you know, whenever we say the Lord's Prayer, we retain the old King James language. Mm-hmm. You ever think about modernizing it, you know, as opposed to... I don't think committees could get away with it. Well, we'd have <laughs> to uh, change enormous amount of English translation Bibles and reprint a whole bunch, but... Uh, Actually, we use this as kind of a test case in Greek exegesis for that, for that very question because there's a... You want to be a part of the tradition. You can't help but not be a part of a translation tradition. And yet, some of the hallowed. When when was the last time you used that word? Mm. Or, and if we're or thy, and if we're trying to replicate ordinary English, then those th- there's some phrasings and some uh, words here that we just wouldn't use. But they're part of our liturgical tradition, so mm-hmm. so we do use them. I don't know how to get out of that tension. The only times I've seen the Lord's Prayer sort of translated consistent with the you know translation philosophy of whatever translation you're reading is is when it's like a, a person's individual translation so right. you know a, an individual scholar just translates it and they can break all the committee rules because there's no committee <laughs> well i remember my own family when you know we've been saying the lord's prayer at to end our family devotion now for 20 years and um, 20 plus years and so but we used to say because they were younger kids we took out all of the old language the hallowed we came because you know I don't know how to make I don't know how else to say you know make your name holy in a real succinct way other than just hallowed yeah. so uh, but the thy kingdom come you know you know uh, the uh, our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name so we just modernize the verbs and yeah. That way, the kids were able to follow along, and they. Uh, but when we recite this in church, we retain the old language, so they get confused because they realize they're saying yeah. it in two different ways. Um, there's a there's a cost and a benefit to all of these decisions, isn't there? You know, I remember listening to uh, 
Leland Riken talk about the soaring language of the King James, the authorized version that they tried to preserve in the in the ESV. And so much of the language was this old English language that's fallen out of use, which does have an artistic archaizing tendency, which in English traditions is often taken as artfully high, like high art. Right. You that's know? probably the reason why the Lord's Prayer is preserved. And, language. and we could say, so therefore, teach your kids what those words mean. But, uh, you know, I admit, even as you bring this up, uh, being raised in a church where we said hallowed, I don't know how old I was until so, before someone actually described to me what that was, what that meant. I would just say hallowed, <laughs> you know, um, because that's what the church said. And I kind of had this sense of words that I there are words that I understand, and then there are also church and Bible words that I just don't understand. And you just say them because that's what you're supposed to say. And I think that's – some people might say, oh, yeah, it's kind of a healthy development of the Christian life. Um, I, I'm not sure that that is. I, I, I think kids won't necessarily ask, what does that mean? They'll just go along with it. And there is something about having a children's catechism and right. an adult's catechism, a children's translation of the prayer and then the adult translation of the prayer or something like that. Um, as we see, you know, you look at the Shorter Catechism in Westminster, and who's it right. for? It's, it's for uh, children and the infirm of mind, <laughs> So, um, which, are, which our RTS students are always sad to learn when they have to memorize it. That's right. That this is for children and the infirm of mind, uh, but they have to know it to graduate yeah, from it's master's, yeah. master's education. Yeah. The New Living is a good – It is. It yeah. has a good – kind of demystified translation. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I get it. I like I like the community language yeah. of the old English. Yeah. Older English. Well, it does it, show how special the church has embraced the Lord's prayer yeah. and it sort of set yeah. it aside from other parts of scripture and yeah. we know that because we have retained that archaic language right. It it, it gives it the text a sense of deference. Yeah. It it shows that this is really special to us. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's interesting how intuitively we seem to have retained that. Uh, there's right. no text requirement to do that. We just do it because it's just really special. Yeah, and like you, you really only see it in a couple other places. One being Psalm 23. Right. Low though I walk through the valley of the yeah. shadow of death. No, no one says low anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Translations have different purposes, right? They can. Yeah. There's no one single perfect translation. And so it depends a lot into the situation in which this is getting translated. So I, I think it's perfectly appropriate for us to say hallowed. Yeah. And then when we're trying to explain things, like you said, yeah. when we use it in different contexts, mm-hmm. we want to use a different translation because we're trying to accomplish something different. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah I yep. agree. That's right. I think it'd be unnerving, though, if we did modernize a language. I think people will be taken back. But I think it's all right. Though I would say with parents... Ask your kids, do you know what these things mean? Yeah. That's always a good way to go. Don't don't get them into the habit of not understanding Bible stuff and just thinking that's part of it. Okay? It's good for us to explain. It's good for us to Although make sense the danger is apparent is that you might not know. You might not know, too. Well, and there you go. And isn't that a challenge? Dad, what is you? an Ebenezer? Um, <laughs> oh, go ask your mother. I still, every time I sing that song, which I love, I do think of me holding up a hand, my hand and there's a little Ebenezer Scrooge in my hand. Like kind of pointing his cane into the ground. You humbug! Not the right Ebenezer. I think that's. I think actually all of this is just an indication of just how surprisingly rich the Lord's Prayer can be. Like 
each of these little phrases can be starting points of an entire discussion, meditation, even right. perspective changing look at Christ and the Christian life. So and worthy to um, be preached on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and there's so much to be said about each individual thing. And I know we've already started to talk about it, but how are we going to divide them up? There's so much that can be said um, through each section of the text. Look forward to having that conversation with you all and unpacking the Lord's Prayer over the course of the uh, the next few weeks and months. And look forward to having you all with us as part of that conversation. As always, don't hesitate to um, send in requests. I know most of you don't know that this was coming up. But now that you do, if you've got questions, if you've got comments, feel free to send them in. Um, you can still send us your tough texts as well. We will be returning to tough texts down the road. But if there's a text that we miss that you want us to cover, uh, please do let us know. You can do that through the show notes, the link in the show notes. And if you'd like to have this conversation face to face at RTS and talk about these things in class, we'd love to have you join us as a student. You can go learn more about RTS at rts.edu. And if you want to learn more about the DC campus, you can go to rts.edu forward slash Washington. And we'd love to start that conversation with you. So look forward to being with you all again next week. Until then, take care. young kid in my home church in California telling me that he he didn't know God's name was Harold. Harold be thy name. <laughs> oh. is, is that true? Oh yeah, it's totally true. That sounds like that, a dad uh, joke. Well, yeah, I know. It, no, no, it was, uh, he may have gotten it from his dad as a yeah, joke. He might, didn't it realize might, it was a joke. It might have started I mean, it out as like, a dad joke. It sounded like I'm gonna, your I'm dad joke is what I'm going to use that.